this particular way of practicing and living and training and experiencing life really is a firm center and opening the heart trying to establish this as a kind of core way of being so it's by no means not a belief thing Uh, you can believe what you like really It's about training oneself to be awake, attentive. That's this openness, clear. This is the Buddha quality. Open, clear. Buddha was a great uh, inquirer, investigator into experience. Kind of look directly into what happened and how the body works, how the mind works, how people operate. And really, how do we get out of the tangles and messes that? human beings get into. He's very keen on that. <laughs> so they had to get it, stay open. You see, you see always statues of Buddhas, they always have their eyes open. It's characteristic of this form. They always have upright and eyes open. Watchfulness, alertness, attentiveness. And Dhamma, means uh, really uh, reviewing experience in terms of that which is directly happening not what we conceive, imagine, hope for possible inferences, implications social conventions just direct, as direct as you can get you know, which is what you felt it's directly touching your heart it's directly touching your awareness yeah sights, sounds, but also the interpretations of sights and sounds and the various uh, biases we have and what we imagine these kinds of things that bubble up as we get touched by experience so this is you're holding that that detector so that, though of course things change, you can see but that remains timeless because you're holding the same thing through the change of life. This is a called a calico, timeless. It doesn't, it's not like you do it for today and then that's it. Or you do it for, oh, how long have I had to do this for? It's there. That, that's, your, that's your core <laughs> reference. You know, that's, that's your firm center is that. You're holding that attentive, alert inquiry. And, um, and so this is something that you, know, you have to know for yourself. It's not about inducting into a belief system, which is really, you're the ones holding it. It's your, your, your life. Yeah. Nobody else's. And then the sense of Sangha, which means the recognition of, you know, human beings acted in, in, in um, collectives. We always have done, we always have to act in collectives. People cooperate, get together, you get strength. People cooperate around core values, you get strength. Yeah. People cooperate and share and look after each other, you get strength. Simple enough, pretty obvious. And so this is we're taking refuge in, in these both these properties and, and a wish. I want to be in a cooperative relationship with being people who are reliable and sincere and this is going to strengthen me and I'm going to try to make myself personally a responsible participant in that collective this is Buddha, Dharma, Sangha as you can explain it precepts, the five precepts to refrain from, to undertake to train you know, try to not intentionally go around killing creatures and destroying their lives you, know, you may do accidentally you may drive your car over a snake or something or but you know, you're not going around shooting them for fun <laughs> of course you don't like them in a sense you know live and let live they haven't got anywhere else to go <laughs> So, uh, 
Yeah. Important this recognition. Other creatures feel pain uh, and live, and actually a very significant part of our planet because it's the, the planet is managed by the life force or these living creatures. Their ways of living help to keep the planet fresh and healthy. We destroy it, we destroy our own planet, which is what we are doing. You know, there's respect. This is the moment we have this uh, coronavirus thing, which is killing people. So you get headlines, you know, 700 people died of this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. Out of 7 billion people, you know. You know, you might occasionally come across a figure that says 100 million sharks killed every year by human beings. 100 million sharks every year. It kind of puts 750 people in perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> How many billions of animals got, uh, billion animals got destroyed in Australian wildfires? Maybe 20, 30 people died. I'm not saying that the 20 or 30 people's lives weren't important, but, you know, what about all those others? You know? And how we just can go around shooting them, just because we feel like it. I mean, where's the angle in that? Where's the bias in that? Where's the clarity in that? (laughs) Where's the mutuality in that? So we try to respect, really, is what it's about. You have to like creatures, not kill them. And respect that they've got as much right to be here as I have. To undertake to refrain from um, taking that which isn't given. This is obviously stealing things, deliberately stealing things. But then you look at it more broadly, you can recognize, you know, there's there's, uh, even taking people's time, taking people's energy, you know, a sense of real, you know, we we request, we don't just demand, we request, and also we invite, you know, by all means, a sense of, you know, respecting other people's property, time, place, and so forth. You try to extend that to other creatures as well. Take their their place, their territory. This is just a beautiful way to live because in that that sensitivity is is sensitive. And the the Buddha was supposed to be somebody whose mind was shimmering, trembling for the welfare of creatures. There was an occasion when the Sangha were invited, his group were invited to spend the range retreat at, um, in a particular area in India, and there was a food shortage at the time. So the monks had to live on what people offer. There wasn't a lot going around. There wasn't a lot of food available. So um, eventually they found that the horse traders were able to give them some bran that they feed to horses and they just mix this stuff up in water and eat this stuff. <laughs> and then one of the disciples had this ability to say, well, under the earth, there are, if you dig under the earth enough, you can find this humus under the earth that you could live on. And the Buddha said, no, don't do that because it disturbed the creatures living in the soil. Leave them alone, it's theirs. They haven't offered it, leave it be. We just eat horse bran instead. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's really walking your talk. <laughs> you can say mm-hmm. this makes life just so uh, really sensitive to invite and offer and serve and, you know, and be attuned to the welfare of others. To refrain from sexual misconduct. You realize uh, sexual energy is powerful force. You know, we uh, see enormous amounts of harm done through the recklessness around this rape, violation, pornography, even the children. You know, 
just really, really you know, what, what is going on because it's just uh, it's kind of something that's presented as the most wonderful thing that one can experience and everything so much advertising got some sexual innuendo or tint to it you know some kind of something's really beautiful or sexy or something and that's that means it's good yeah and uh, everything is, is angling on that it's kind of like the sexual trigger is, is constantly being pushed and poked and then if we just use other people just so that we can have sexual pleasure right? what do you do to them what do you do to their bodies? What do you do to their minds? What do you do to their hearts? You violate people. Yeah. Or you betray, you know, your relationship and you betray the, the, the trust in that. You know, sexuality should be something that requires, it's supposed to be about a deep sense of trust and, you know, special trust and intimacy with another being. Not something you just throw around. <laughs> yeah. So when one recultivates this, then you have a sense of, you know, you're reliable. You don't fool around. And you see people not just as bodies, but as fellow human beings who you respect them. Refrain um, from harmful speech, one of the, uh, you know, another great source of, of poison is... Uh, Harmful, false, lies, abusive speech, uh, slander, gossip, swearing, uh, and so on. And we see this, this precept is, is hugely, <laughs> is hardly, uh, uh, isn't observed, nobody, by and large. You know, and, uh, and particularly now we have things like Twitter and uh, emails and stuff like that, and internet chat just the language and the violence of the language and the that's done by even by politicians you know as people are supposed to be responsible for our nations slandering gossiping accusing you know uh, bad-mouthing each other lying lying absolute lying and shamelessly without I mean, proved they're lying they don't seem to care you know because eventually it doesn't seem to matter anymore who needs truth Anyway, you know, you think, well, uh, it's just noise. It's just it's just pushing people's buttons. They they hate they hate buttons or their greed buttons or their yeah. This is so we can do much more harm with our speech. You don't really need weapons. You don't need to be strong. You don't need technology. You can just open your mouth and shoot. And uh, the Buddha said we have an axe in our mouth. Now with technology, you don't have an axe, you have a machine gun. Because you can spray it all over the world with it. Lies, slander, gossip. Yeah. And so uh, one of the traits of a, of a fine being is to say you, you, can, you can give them their comp, you, you can tell them your, your problems and they won't spread it around. Good, a good friend is someone who you can confide in, who will keep trust and not be, not spread word about you. So you can, you know, talk about your problems or your difficulties, and they won't blow it around. You can share confidence with them, and you know they're going to keep it to themselves. And this is really when somebody says that, you know, and somebody says to me, "I can't tell you," you know, that's I can't tell you that. Because that was said in confidence, I think, great, I really respect that person. Because then I can say things to them. <laughs> I don't want people to tell me all the stories about other people. If somebody does, I think, well, he'll be, he'll be doing the same thing about me. Yeah. So when it doesn't betray our confidence, just for the sake of a cheap, cheap laugh or a thing like that, train in this way because it is you can gratify a lot you can relieve a lot of pressure with speech just blast someone you know get even on someone these these horrible you know energies and mental states that we we are prone to when you, you just come out of our mouths and we infect uh, other people with them 
until eventually people don't even know what truth is anymore. It's just because everybody got the same sickness. <laughs> and the, the, the Buddha's reference to right speech, it says someone who is a, uh, he speaks truthfully, he speaks gently, he speaks to the point, purposefully. He's a reconciler of enemies who brings people together. He loves harmony. He reconciles those who've been in discord through his speech. We can use it like that. We could use it like that. And it says you things that are useful, purposeful. At the right time and the right place, he will utter that. And this is a definition of trained speech. And when we train in this uh, training, you know, you at least try to get it so that what you say, you know, you, you could write down, look at, and you wouldn't feel ashamed, or wouldn't feel embarrassed. Yeah. If you talk about somebody to somebody else, you should think, I could say that if the other person was standing here. You know, that's a good test. Because if you couldn't say if they were there, then Perhaps you shouldn't say it. So you learn to train, you know, train yourself in how you say things, when it's useful, when it's purposeful, when silence is better. And uh, in silence, then we get a chance to listen to ourselves. So one of the lesser forms of wrong speech is just pointless chit chat, which is kind of fun. But uh, also just realizing, you know, sometimes it's good to just turn it off so we can hear more deeply and listening becomes more fine and speech becomes more deliberate than when we just, you know? <laughs> because whatever you say, somebody hears it. That, you know, what does that do to them? No training in right speech, really. Because it's also when you to speak right, it helps you to train how you think, how you formulate ideas and impressions of people. You can say something about somebody, you can figure out how do I say this, and you know she's having some difficulties rather than ah she's a basket case, you know, <laughs> she, you know she's experiencing some difficulties. That's true, isn't it? right now yeah. so you see one you learn things like rather than talking about people as if they're, they're fixed entities like oh she's a mess you know, she's experiencing some difficulties right now doesn't mean she is permanently a mess <laughs> so you know you, that, things like that you see you, you sort of put speaking line with truth or here, here's some, here's some, here's some aspects which are rather difficult to be with, rather than the guys are pain in them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's much more skillful because it always offers a sense in which we recognise, you know, people are many things, but their behaviours are changeable and flexing, and some can be quite obnoxious in some respects, and also they can be quite beautiful in other respects. And we keep that door open. And you train yourself to think like that and you speak like that. This is a great training. Refrain from intoxication, intoxicants, alcohol, drugs which lead to carelessness, which blur the mind. So you can recognize something like this training, you have to be pretty sharp, particularly with speech, just to be really sharp and attentive. So you know, anything that lessens that. You know, what's the point of doing that? <laughs> it's pretty difficult when you're totally stone cold sober. <laughs> and you had like even, even a beer, even one glass of beer or so, it's going to blur things a little, isn't it? And you think, well, why, why did you do that? What, what was it for? And often it's a sort of social thing. Oh, yeah, hi, Joe, it's kind of a yeah, fine, okay. Social, and we get into that. And also we can kind of collude with it. I don't want to sound, you know, pre priggish by not having a beer. So okay, I'll have a beer with you, fine. Why did I do that? Why didn't I say, 
you know, Joe, I'm quite really nice to have a chat with you. I don't need to drink, thanks. No, I'd sooner be with you. Just sort of look at this, because if we collude with it, then in some ways we're not actually saying, hey, you know, I mean, I can handle it, but I'm also kind of really not rec- recognizing that maybe you can't. <laughs> you know, it becomes socially acceptable. <coughs> of course it is. But then when you look at the general... Uh, ethical standards in society it's not as if we're so overly virtuous <laughs> that we could afford to slacken off a bit <laughs> it looks like we need to raise them raise our game <laughs> and so we need all the help we can get to, to get that clarity and focus so you know, blur things just in kind of casual behavior a lot of this is just casual it's not going out and getting smashed it's just casualness Casualness is, is relaxing, it's true, it's relaxing, but it gets blurred and some of these edges you start to slide and say things. And, and could there be another way of relaxing? Hopefully there can. And this is why we, why we train in using these meditative systems to begin to, you know, come into our... Bodies and begin to feel the stress or the strain and develop practices that help to relieve that. Even more importantly, in the tensions and struggles and pains in our hearts, how to practice with those so we don't need to, you know, put things in there to suppress it or fuzz it out, blur it out. Uh, So these are the five five precepts, uh, and there's a whole lot they stand for. And we undertake to try. You know, clearly, it, we do say things that later on we feel a little bit off, you know. But at least then you, if you've got that reference point, at least you've got something you can go back to. And say, okay, that wasn't so good. Try Today I'll try again. Because if you don't have a mark, <laughs> you know, if you don't have a target or a benchmark to steer by, <coughs> then you know, the standard just slides. If you've got something you can at least keep returning to and try to hold it up, you know, you're going to get, you know, if you aim for 100%, you likely get 80%. If you don't aim for anything, you're not going to get anything. <laughs> it's just going to be whatever, you know. So these are uh, trainings because um, there's something rather beautiful here. Um, you know, that's possible, and as we recognize the inequality like right speech. And you hear speaking honestly, sincerely, truthfully, reliable, you know, uh, generous, kind. Well, this is, this is a really useful, helpful, beautiful thing, the, 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 the trained human being who's using their resources skillfully is a treasure. So these five precepts are called a vehicle towards um, towards um, going well, to living in a, in a way that one feels comfortable and confident, lack of, uh, of regret. Sukhutin Bogasampada, which means they're a vehicle towards making yourself into a, a treasure. Sounds narcissistic, doesn't it? But you've actually got some resources that you can share because you speak truth and you are of a mind that seeks for the welfare of others and respects others. This is a treasure. Uh, and then certainly if you back that with meditation practice, then you do become, in your own way, a source of benefit and welfare for others. And this is also a vehicle for nipputing, for releasing the struggles and the tangles in our lives, the cooling, the power of passion, of conflagrations, of powerful passionate emotions and uh, drives. So this, this checks, moderates, checks, checks, checks. Yeah. And uh, so once we realize, you, you place that then, you've got something that you can keep, 
keeping an eye on. Because if you're not, if you're straying too far away from those, then your wakefulness will say, hey, what's going on here? Wait a minute, what's happening here? It's just drifting. You're losing, you're losing the thread. Come back. You know? and this is this Buddha is that awakening quality. And if you don't uh, have anything to respect, then the awakening quality just goes to sleep. <laughs> They're making a, a vowels, uh, you know, vowels of some kind. Uh, and these are. Because these act as a firm center. We talked about firm center in many ways. You know, certainly, this firm center in terms of one's embodied experience is a, a journey of discovery. And you can, because as you practice and meditate like that, you can begin to realize the firm structure is rather slightly fluid. It's a sort of sense of something that's present, it's alive. It's not just an abstract notion, it's alive and it's flowing. It's a fluid structure. has an energy to it. As it's allowed to be fluid, it's going along a particular channel, a breath channel. In a way, it's, it's constant, so it's a certain you know, constancy to it. It's also alive you know, and fresh, breathing in, breathing out. And when we make vows, Terminations, these are similar. This means, you know, we pick it up and we try. We try. So that aspiration, you know, means you put energy into it. Put energy into it and you keep it alive, and you keep it vital, and you keep checking yourself against it, and you keep using it. So it's not just an idea like, you know, theory or a belief. It's a, a vow, a determination to train, to try, to uphold a sense of virtue, realizing it's. And the mind is shifting all the time. Mind is shifting all the time. So you just keep your eye on it because it's a. Your vigilance has to be as fluid as the mind is, as flexible as the mind is. You notice it's slippery. And staying with it. And this property is the property of mindfulness. Mindfulness is that which wraps around an experience and is a custodian of it. So in speech, for example, we'll do that morally, so we can say profound things or not very profound things. A lot of speech is just matter of fact, uh, but we stay within the boundary of, yeah, this is, you know, this is not lying, not deceitfully, maybe slightly exaggerated, but it's not a lie. Because these uh, precepts, you can also get very puritanical about it, or, uh, or, or feel you know you're condemned if you if you exaggerate a little bit, or maybe you know what about you trying to clean moss off your roof? Is that a living creature or not? I don't know. You know what about a microbe that's living in your in your bathroom? You're supposed, what are you supposed to do about that? So you can get very anguished if you take these things as kind of you know legal codes. But you're trying to say, look, I'm trying to refrain from destroying life. You know, if that's what I'm inclining to do, um, you know, uh, and you're keeping that there. And you're, yeah, but you see, well, you've got to eat plants. You might, if you, if you dig the earth, you can disturb some worms. So, but you're not going out brutally slaughtering creatures. And so you're looking at that, that, that constant. You see something living, you, you know, that's moving around and breathing. You try to avoid damaging it. And so this this is, you know, you maintain it. The, the, the vow is to keep trying, inclining, clarifying. Where one gets blurred or hesitant or reckless, you keep trying to clarify. So that, that uh, it stays as a sense of conscience and concern. One recognizes that careless, reckless, even casual habits in your mind can lead to regretful things you really regret years later. You know, casual sex, casual drink, casual this, casual speech, and oh God, where did that go, you know? <laughs> yeah.
So the, the sense of fundamental sense of morality in, in virtue, in, in, at least in this training principle, is that you have a sense of recklessness is bad for me. Carelessness, not carelessness, is bad for me. My mind gets sloppy, and it's bad for me. I could, I could have clarity and stillness and steadiness, and if I. But if a recklessness, carelessness, disrespect of other creatures and other people is bad for me. My mind gets careless and sloppy and, you know, and it's also bad for them and I value them. I like to be able to see other people with a sense of value rather than just somebody I don't count anyway. Idiot like him is really important. <laughs> you know? Well, it's only a dog. That, that, you know, squashing of scruples. Nobody, everybody does this anyway, doesn't really matter. Squash. Nobody's looking after all, it's just one of those things that gets away from you. That, that, you know, hear that, that mind tone, the crushing of scruples, the lack of, of clarity. And you say, no, this, this is, you know, it's, it, it, the structures dissolve, there's no firmness. No firmness, no firmness. But it's not bounded by fear, like fear of being blamed or condemned. It's bounded by a sense of there's something beautiful here that needs to be protected. So then we determine that's something I can determine because it, it, it honors this life. I'm living under fear of damnation. It's actually honouring this gift that we all have. So these these two themes: firm centre, open heart. So there's a there's a moral aspect to it. The firmness, and which at a certain point you say, "No, I can't go with that." I'm not getting angry or blaming you, I just, I cannot go with that, I cannot, I'm not part of that, I'm not participating in that, going to explain why. So, you know, this then really does help to filter. Now, when we have the sense of open heart, so just remember, use remember this uh, the image of the big whale, the baleen whale. You know, it's got the, the the baleen that comes in their mouth. So they take in the whole ocean goes in, but they, the whole ocean also flows out. They don't take the ocean in; they let it in and they let it out. But they have these these filters that just collect what's necessary, <laughs> and the rest they just let go off. <laughs> just collect the krill. On their, on their baleen plates, the rest of it just let it go. It's open, but they're not, just because it's open doesn't mean that they're getting swamped by everything. They let things come in and then they go out. And in, let it out. And in, let it out. And this quality <coughs> called fine attention or deep attention just takes in the bit that's useful in that, or the purposeful. Or it notices well, that's 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 the poisons. Hmm. Don't want that. Let that one out. So this is a really useful. In the sense that you're not kind of closed down. You're open, but to be open to something doesn't mean necessarily you have to adopt it or buy it or react to it. You can be aware of it, notice it. That's important. Let's let it pass. And cultivating that, uh, then that keeps the mind from getting poisoned. Naturally, if that's the case, if we do that, that, that quality of attention that filters things, we have references to what we really 
wish to accumulate, which is goodness and skillfulness and strength. We take in that, the rest of it, we just let it go past. That's, that's training. Training to not just get reactive or flustered because you have uh, this firmness which doesn't adopt qualities that are not useful. This is a function of uh, of mindfulness and wisdom. But then what is useful, you do adopt, you take that in. And this encourages uh, clarity and purity of heart. And then the other aspect of open heart, it means it can transmit. And if you take in good qualities and you're open, then naturally those qualities get transmitted. So, this is a very stripped down model of how this happens. We take something like the qualities of, uh, for oneself, you start just, you test it out in yourself. And then if it works in yourself, you know this is a working model. So if you're listening, hearing, feeling, touching, tasting, and of course the most constant source of input is the thinking mind. How much of it just listen to it as a sound passing through. So this is where this disidentification is important. For now I'm just hearing this as a sound, as a voice, motion, energy, it's there. That phenomenon arises, the qualities of it. A lot of it is just so just pass, 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 doesn't really matter. And then you may notice the signs of this is where the uh, stress or pain is. Listening to that. And then you open to that, which means rather than kind of open the heart to that. So it's a sense in which instead of contracting on it whereby the heart closes down and gets upset or angry or how do I change this or fix this or I shouldn't have this happening to me I shouldn't feel this way so it does that it closes we open this is called the experience of, of anger or fear or grief or distress or being annoyed open to that and without adopting it and this opening allows that phenomenon to arise and pass and it brings up and generally to encourage it to you, you, the quality, the heart qualities of compassion and goodwill come to the fore and things can be heard without defence or denial or belief just heard as pain, as distress and allowed to arise and pass so this this is what the open heart does. And of course, it has to be backed up by the firmness to not waver, don't deflect, to not proliferate, which is this mental additions and inferences and stories, firmness, simplicity of dealing directly with what is felt in here and now. You practice like that, and you're going to find test it out for yourself. You're able to lessen the accumulation of painful memory, of conundrums, stressful conundrums, and of your, your difficult habits in yourself. And then you practice that with other people. You know, we all exist in some relational field, some relational context that we work with colleagues, friends, family, partners, and so forth. And remain so you remain firm. This is where I stand. I'm not resisting, but at the same time, I'm not just blindly adopting. Um, and you're able to offer that quality to others. This is very important to, to get a sense of that in relationship because often relationships, family relationships, marriage relationships, work relationships, they, they, they're kind of held through a sense of obligation. You know, or, or because it's socially convenient. You know, and then they die. 
you know, they, they, they're, they're no longer sustained by something living and valid. They're just habits. <laughs> you know, they're just habits. You live with a habit. Like a person is a kind of part of the furniture. Uh, and uh, the, the love or the respect or the mutuality or the openness is, isn't being activated. It could be, perhaps, or perhaps it can't. And then it's important to have a sense in which, well, I'm open, firmness, I'm here, I'm open. We're not meeting, we're not, it's not happening, is it? It's not blaming anything, it's just a fact, it's not happening. There isn't that, that mutuality, isn't that flow, isn't that connection. Therefore, the relationship is bound to dissolve, change, pass. So, uh, it's uh, keeping that, that training in that way. And you can see it also, um, you know, rather than you, you have to be this, that, or the other, or cling to, to people, or support it, clinging. Clinging is, means a contracted relationship. You just kind of hold someone for security or just out of habit, and then they're just there to, like, furniture in the room, in your life, or your furniture in their room. And they sit on you occasionally. <laughs> so you know this isn't this isn't really alive. The, the energy of it's gone. If we consider the, the wider field, we're also um, living in a society, a human society, and uh, uh, it's both town, village, nation international and global society and we're living as you know, creatures on the planet and we retain that those principles in that respect now, the opposite of this is when we just instead of maintaining one's own principles and center and openness and filtering out what's um, what's useless and bringing forth goodness into it we just cling to uh, nation societies or things like that Uh, and then this is a heart closes around it because we've restricted heart to just what what I hold on to and you can can sense how these uh, experiences happen nationalism so Britain's itself, you know, has gone through a big spasm at the moment. Currently, they've gone to a big constrictive pattern where we decided we're separate from the rest of Europe, or maybe we're separate from the rest of the world. <laughs> and you wonder what caused that, this constriction, uh, and then uh, to, to separate, to be separate, and feeling this way we have more control. And you realize, well, no, we won't have more control. We're just allowing ourselves to be controlled by a smaller group of dictators. <laughs> you know, that's the way it goes. The constrictions always uh, uh, mean we, we lose our fluidity and our, uh, and our, our grandness and our openness. In general, this principle has been disastrous. You, know, you, you see these land masses with lines drawn across them. You look on the soil; there's no line there. Yeah. Where does you know South African air end and Zambian air begin? Yeah. It's like you know, yeah, these these entities can become hard and fast, and they're hard and fast because that allows power to to accumulate worldly power. And worldly power is always this constriction of, of energy. So it's a constriction of reduction, a constriction of energy so it becomes power. 
power, worldly power, basically just simplifies intention to domination. That's that's intention, is to control and dominate. It means that you can do a lot of energy with it, it goes forward a lot, but it never expands into mutuality. That's worldly power. Whereas spiritual power is aimed essentially at widening and being more mutual and opening. So our choice as human beings, which way are we going to go? And particularly this time in our history, whereby we realize that the, the domination paradigms of nations, nation states, national based mythologies, and this country is better than that country, and our group are better than your group, this kind of way of behavior, uh, which causes wars and lack of friendship uh, and so forth uh, it's become something that's as human beings act upon it it becomes humans against humans our nation against your nation and then also humans against every other creature has to be sacrificed for the sake of human beings and this is why we're in this uh, crisis, environmental crisis, global crisis. The war has never stopped. They changed the name of it. But in thousands of years of human history, the war has gone on without a break. It's just changed its, it's, changed its locations. But it's the war has just continued. It moves around, but it's continued. It's a constant factor because of power which is a constriction of intention me, my group and, and you get like a special elite you know, of a minimal percentage of the population who want to hold it all and they direct the rest of the population to acts of brutality towards people who don't even know that's, that's, that's the constriction that's pulling it all, all inwardly. It seems very firm, but it's a firmness that's, that's got a brutality to it. It's not flexible. Yeah. But uh, so that's a constriction of intention, and we can do this to ourselves. We can have this constricted intention in our own minds, whereby we. I'm not going to talk to her. I don't see the point of that. I'm better than he is. Towards other people, and then even towards ourselves, we have a, can have a brutal, harsh, judgmental attitude towards our own mind states. We can complain ourselves, criticize ourselves, feel we're not good enough, uh, beat ourselves up, try to be perfect, moan and complain about ourselves when we're not. It's the same thing, it's a constriction of intention, no grand-heartedness, no compassion, no tolerance, no forgiveness, no, well, why is, why is there a problem here? It's just shut up, get me what I want, be, you know, achieve perfect results for me. You, know, so you can complain about your body as being too sick or too weak or too strong or too, too old or not too short, or too fat, or too skinny. You complain about that. Or you complain about your mind, too wobbly, too wavery, too dithery. And you complain about that. Or you complain about you know your thoughts, pointless, rambling, discursive thoughts. And so we you know and then get an attitude of trying to push it into some state of perfection. This is domination paradigm. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. People go crazy with that. And embittered. So how do you deal with things like having nasty emotions and ugly thoughts and uh, feeling sick or not up to scratch? Open. It's widen your intention which is the sense of embracing 
all of it and bringing good qualities into it, bringing encouragement, bring, bring kindness, bring compassion, bring equanimity into it. You feed it from your heart. This is a turnaround. And so we cultivate it internally, then as a possibility we start to cultivate that towards each other. And we see the inadequate or the failures in others or the shortcomings instead of how can I, can I help you? You know, it could be. And so this principle, widening intention, and these are fundamental. In uh, you know, just you take three founding teachings that the Buddha gave for people who perhaps even weren't terribly interested in liberation. He said, well, just consider this. Uh, What do you think about giving? Sharing. Do you think that's useful? Is that good or not? Giving and sharing. Oh, yeah, that's good. This is an important principle, giving and sharing. Because when there's giving and sharing, there's bound to be some degree of friendship. There's bound to be some degree of mutuality. There's bound to be a lessening of suspicion and rancor and jealousy, isn't there? Giving and sharing. There's bound to be a, a diminution of unskillful states. And if we look at each other with how can I give and share, there's bound to be a, a, a blessing in my own heart. My own heart widens and opens. So giving and sharing is very important. And it's not esoteric, is it? So only Buddhists can do it. <laughs> you have to sign up to do it. And they say, well, what can you share? Well, there's material things, but we all have limitations on that. So that's that's good. Uh, Share uh, uh, hospitality, shelter, uh, medicines. But the highest, the most valuable kind of sharing is a sharing of wisdom and virtue. So share your, your truth, share your wisdom, share your virtue. So that's the most important gift. That gift surpasses everything else. Because with that gift, you've touched into the most precious thing that human beings have and you've offered it around. You should never be stingy with that. Never let a day pass when you haven't shared in some respect. Even in silence. You shared an idea, an attitude of respect and kindness towards another. That's your gift. By keeping precepts, you, you offer fearlessness. People do not need to fear me. I'm giving them the gift of safety. I'm giving them the gift of they can relax because I'm not going to violate them, betray them. I'm giving them the gift of safety and security and peace. You know? And just think, if we could do that individually, remember it, cultivate it, activate it, keep it going. Imagine if we did that as a society. Where would the borders go? Where would the hostilities go? If we did that. How can it be that's like... um, you know, about 50 people in the, on the world have as much resources as half the rest, as half the rest of the planet. How can we so unbalanced? Because they didn't practice giving and sharing, and therefore there's poverty, and bitterness, and resentment, and crime, and violence. It's because of the absence of that. He said, well, the second great thing is, is called virtue. Simple rule of virtue is to others as to myself. Not that difficult. If you Buddhists to understand that, to others as to myself. I don't want you, I don't want to be lied to, so I don't do it to you. I don't want to be betrayed, so I don't do it to you.
Imagine if everybody did that. Just so other, you know, I don't want to be killed and I won't do it to you. Even just to other human beings, let alone other creatures. I said, just imagine if everybody on the planet did that even for one day. Because in that, there's a sense of, you know, you put down unskillful states of mind in yourself. Hostility, the jealousy, the fear, the agitation, the resentment, the revenge, the carelessness, you you eliminate those for that time. And people can trust you, therefore friends are born, they will share with you if you do that, this is this is how it happens. So we open, we widen to include the field of other creatures. This is what we call widening our intention. We only we benefit from it. If we can, and then as a practitioner, you know, you can see well, this isn't just me and my friends. It's me and even people I don't like very much, I won't harm them because I don't have to, you know, I don't have to like them to not harm them. Creatures I don't really like, I won't harm them. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll stay away if I don't particularly want to have a saltwater crocodile in my bathtub, but (laughs) (laughs) he can have his place. That's fine, not going to bother him. Because by and large, creatures, other creatures don't go out of their way to attack you. It's us who do it to them. You don't get packs of leopards just going around hunting people for fun, like we do to them. <laughs> so that, that uh, sense of just, you don't have to like people to not harm them, to not betray them. You don't have to like people not to just not spit venom at them. So this this is wide of attention. So there's even people who you don't like very much are still sentient, and they could change. Why are people, you know, violent, obnoxious, and so forth? And you really reflect upon it deeply. You recognise every kind of behaviour that we have arises because of causes and conditions. No one is born a criminal. We become it because of causes and conditions. Either certain qualities were not given to us, you know, people were violated or abused or starved or given the wrong teachings or trained in the wrong way. No one's born a criminal. No one's born a murderer. No one's born a violator. They become that through causes and conditions. And so our practice is to eliminate by our presence, the continuation of those causes and conditions. Third great principle, renunciation, is just take what you need. Don't take anything more than what you really need. Don't use more than you really need. Because, you know, it's a, it's a finite system, finite planet. Don't take more than you really need. It's respect. Again, people say, well, you know, it doesn't cost that much. It only costs, you know, 300 rand or something. But no, it's not. The earth doesn't get paid anything. (laughs) For that. That's where it came from. They don't get paid anything. So don't take more than you, than you really need. And if you do that, you begin to filter out. That's kind of nice, it's interesting, it's cute. Actually, I don't really need it. And this firms up your centre, because you get a pretty clear sense of, actually, I don't need that much, really. Life gets simpler and easier. Is left to have to store up, look after, hoard, worry about, concern yourself with. It gets simpler and it's cleaner and your mind is freer. 
because you haven't had a whole lot of stuff and you aren't, aren't activating the desire principle and the mind is then left don't activate the desire principle so something calms down and you get a sense of firm, simple clarity imagine if we practice that the people who have a lot shared it You know, so instead of the disease of consumerism, which befuddles people, just buy something, buy something, buy something. It's a disease that's corrosive because uh, things don't begin in shops, they begin in the planet. And we don't, we don't see the results of. of or how that arose. You don't see the, the clearage, the forests, destruction of animals that came, that was needed to create that particular thing. So there's a sense of it's a moral concern. And if we cultivate these, we will actually give ourselves wealth. Yeah. Wealth of a firm, steady, comfortable center, clear reference points, a heart that's no longer so befuddled or so congested with dealing with stuff that it doesn't know how to radiate. A heart that's not congested naturally radiates. And that's the blessing of being a human. So, you know, for tonight.